0: Everybody, this is Isay Cosette, and you are listening to Isay's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week we have a very special guest, Sadiq Zukogi, author of Your Crib, My Kibla, from the African Poetry Book Series at the University of Nebraska. I'm so honored to be able to sit here and share this body of work that you just celebrate the life and death of your daughter and how you deal with that grief but not only just that you are a poet you are an editor you are you know a phd student you know there's many crowns and hats that you wear and i'm just excited to just hear a little bit more about your story and you know how you have just evolved from nigeria to nebraska and just you know See how you're on your way so tell the people just a little bit about yourself
1: yeah um, thank you so much Issa, for um, providing me with this wonderful opportunity to join you in your incredible podcast um, it's an honor um, that you have um, got the book that you have read it and um, want to have a conversation with me my name is Sadiq. Um, You asked me one of the questions that I always try to avoid and that's in talking about myself. Like it's always really weird and strange because I'm still in the middle of figuring out who Sadiq is, right? Um, I'm still in the middle of gaining a better perspective about what I embody and also how I embody what's outside of my body which is a lot of buddies, but you know, um, you get the idea, but basically I'm a poet, which is the first thing that comes to mind when I'm asked that question. But um, um, I'm a father of four wonderful children, three of whom are still with us. Um, I'm a husband to the most amazing woman in the world. I'm a son, I'm a PhD student, and basically a human being trying to survive um, the many beauties in the world, and also the many traumas um, of the world.
0: We are constantly evolving, but there are many versions of ourselves, and as a poet, this is what we're here to talk about, your recent book, and how you know, you use grief um, as a language of connection with your daughter, Baha. and you know how did you approach that? How did you
1: So um, when, when I got the news that she had passed, I was um, living in, in, in a city far from where they were, where I was walking in Kaduna, and they were in Mina. And in the morning, I had worn this white, beautiful gown. Um, and I was feeling really beautiful, um, out in the world, even though I had spent a weekend with them in the hospital, but she was getting better and I had to leave for work on Monday. And so on Monday, I, 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 left for Kaduna on Tuesday. I was this beautiful man in the world. Um, who was excited that, you know, um, Baha was getting better, even though before I left I tried to touch her and she resisted. Perhaps she was angry that I was leaving. Um, and so when I arrived at the office, I, I was um planning on the day's work and um my wife called and I, I heard her her cry, Baha. It was it was a sound unlike what I've never heard before, and immediately I started crying. Um, And a few minutes afterwards, my aunt called, and I told her she's died, right? And the sobs that I heard over the phone confirmed it. I had a pen in my hand, um, and there was a, a piece of paper on my desk. And I wrote, goodbye, my sweet, sweet child. And I began to write about the gown that I wore, and I was angry at it, I was angry at how beautiful I looked that day. And I just wanted to rip it off. And I was right in to that emotion. And um, I I wanted to return immediately. Of course, I called my boss and told him that I just lost my child. Um, And I I walked to the park, Uh, I didn't even realize. Um, And And he called afterwards and like volunteered to drive me back home, which was 400 kilometers. Like it's literally a four hour journey um, of bad roads. And throughout the journey, I was crying and I had my paper with me and I was just writing all the things that I wanted to say to her, all the things I was looking forward to doing with her as, as as a child, and then, as a as a woman, as a, a a mother with her children, and all of that, just were images that were flashing across my mind, and I was writing out those questions, um, and you know, just trying to make sense of what i was feeling whether i was feeling anything at all at that particular time and so the process continued um like that every single day i would um take up uh, a a book it was all handwritten all of it Um, and i would write this questions out you know write about this desire to see her this desire to talk to her I felt there were like a lot of things that remained unanswered, right? Of course, there were like a lot of experiences that were unrealized. And I just was writing towards those and, you know, questioning why this has happened, questioning what I might have done wrong, you know, um, the guilt that I was feeling you know, um, because throughout her life, I was, I was moving. Um, At first, I was doing the youth um, service corps in Nigeria, which is something that you do when you graduate um, from college, you serve the nation for a year. So um, that's when she came along. And immediately after I finished that, I got a job, a good paying job um, that we all needed, right. And so I had to move we're in the middle of um, making another preparation to move when she um, when she when she passed so every single day for seven months i wrote on the pages of this book um that i stole (laughs) and it was just you know reflections um rage questions. i was just trying to make sense of what has happened make sense of myself within the scope of what has happened. And I wasn't really a poet um, when I was writing this. It was just, you know, poetry is just the only language that I know how to talk in, especially when I am very emotional. Um, So I, I, I wasn't really writing poems. I was just finding, it was a pursuit of language to articulate the grief that I was feeling to try to understand the new world that I have been trusted into uh, a world of sadness, a world of immense darkness, right? Um, because when Baha was alive, she, she provided me with so much energy. I don't know how to explain it, but I, I really felt like, and still feel like that was the best version of myself. Um, I just wanted to be out there in the world and be more i wanted to be a person that is worthy of her love right and so it was like a constant battle to be worthy right and i'm like i'm just going to be the best version of myself for this daughter and she she before I, you know rehan is our first born child his um but i didn't feel that with him right like but the moment she took her first breath in the world, I, I felt this immense power, this adrenaline and electricity is coursing through my veins. And, you know, I knew something has happened, like something has changed in my life. I'm not a very confident person, right? Um, but at that moment, I could do anything. And all of the things that I started doing, like all of the things that I engaged in were pretty successful at that time, right? Because I was just, you know, um, moving with a different air. And so when she passed, I was also thinking about that, right? Um, And pretty recently um, I was talking to my wife, Sa'atatou, and I was like, maybe that's just what she came here to do put that energy inside of our body and and she's done that and now it's our responsibility and a duty to ensure that that light that she's entrusted us with continue to glow right and also in some ways not just brighten our own lives and hearts but you know in some ways brighten. heart of the world right um we we live in a world that is you know incredibly cruel and in search of you know even a flicker of light and and maybe that's that's her message and um would continue to hold that since after baha we've had two other kids um um farid he's a two-year-old he's very beautiful um, and, and Ilhan, who just came along, um, about three months ago.
0: Wow. That, uh, feeling how you carry her, how you honor her, how you celebrate her, but how you are still giving her life. And I notice how you connect her through all of these like natural elements, through the rain, through the flowers, through the wind, right? She moves and she's constantly moving, like. And I, I think that is powerful because you're not allowing her to just leave, you're giving her life in other uh, metaphorical ways. And your poems also lean into that memory, that pain and this imagination that you are still seeing her grow because you're growing and you're growing how with this trauma in your body and this grief. Now that you've written these poems and it has been published, How are you navigating healing? How are you, what are other ways that you're practicing healing and self-care?
1: My mantra since I was a child is I'm just going to allow myself to feel. I'm just going to allow all of it. You know, there is no safe space, you know, in my body for whatever emotion that needs to be felt, I I just, it's not like I revel in it, right? But I ensure that I unravel in it, right? Um, Because I don't know if there's healing, right? I I just think there is a space that I would get to where I would be able to smile when I think about her. Um, And not because it doesn't hurt anymore, but because my body has learned to carry it with grace. Um, and I, I kind of think I'm getting there. I don't know, right? Um, because it's, it's a journey. Um, there are still things that I don't understand about losing her. I still don't understand why she's not here, right? Um, I know that it's death, right? And that's basically absence. But this is just things that I would continue to learn, right? I was talking about how each time I look at the other people and, you know, like other kids and all I see is her, right? I don't know how it react when I am a lot older and I see a 30-year-old with children, right, who would, you know, I don't know what that reaction would be like. But I want to prepare myself to react in a way that is gracious when I get to that time. Um, I have learned a lot, you know, from losing her, um, which is really a weird thing to say. But, you know, before she died, I... I don't know what it felt like, right, to lose someone like that, right. So now, when I see people lose their loved ones, the way that I interact with them is different, right? Um, because this is a pain, this is a loss that I know very well, and so it allows me, it allows me to 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 see them. It allows me to empathize with them. Um, It allows me to recognize that their present situation is not easy to carry. Um, And, you know, like we live in a world where we do not see each other. And, you know, I I kind of think all of the mystery to all of the conflicts of the world would be resolved if we just teach ourselves how to see one another. So this is something that I have learned, and it's something that I'm you know grateful for, which is weird, right? But yeah, now I know um, um, now I know what it feels like to lose someone, and you know yeah.
0: You like you said, you recognize and you can see people differently, you can be able to connect with others um, because you've had that. Um, experience of loss, right? Um, thinking about not only just experience of loss, but being able to have two other children after her, and now you're raising your children in the state. Um, how had your experience of fatherhood and fathering like change or transform while being in Nebraska now versus being in Nigeria?
1: I think it must, you know, feel a lot easier to father here in America because, you know, I've been here three years and, you know, I've done it twice <laughs> in the space of three years. Um, so I assume it's a lot easier um, um, to father children here. But what, what it's not easy is, you know, to raise children here because I come from a different culture, like. um when I got here, like I was held in this immense cultural shock, which I haven't been able to shake off, um, even in this moment, right? Like it's just a lot to learn. Um, as a man here in America, as a black man here in America, um, and I have to do that walk for myself, right, and simultaneously do it, you know, for my children. Um, And, you know, to to even make it worse, um, you know, I'm like black and Muslim. Um, You know, I joke a lot about, you know, like I'm like in America, I'm like the gangster terrorist, you know, Um, (laughs) which which, which is, you know, complicates it in, in a lot of different ways, right? There's still, you know, veiled Islamophobia here. And there's also, you know, the fear of black men I don't know, it's, it's really strange, right? Because I'm also learning about, uh, you know, um, my ancestors, you know, um, who were brought here forcefully. Um, I call them my ancestors because, you know, they're my ancestors. I'm like, they were taken from me, right? Um, and regardless, they're mine too, no matter where they are, whether in the Caribbean, you know, or in, in, in America or in Britain, where, where like, I, I have this idea of, you know, the convergence of blackness, right? How eventually we should all come back together. And, and, and you know, in strange ways that's happening through music, right? Um, you know, there's like a lot of um, um, collaboration and, you know, like, I, I want to call it familial collaboration you know, um, with, you know, Afrobeat, reggae, and also in some ways hip hop, right? Um, um, So like, I I fantasize about that coming together because they're still, you know, um, we're still all the same people. I know that I've been up a little bit, but yeah, um, I'm still learning about all of that history um, and how that, you know, shapes who I am in America because it's like important to know about all of those things. (laughs) <laughs> because, you know, like, um, it might be, you know, a matter of life and death in some spaces. Um, so it's important. But, you know, it's it's been very difficult, and I have been having a lot of anxieties about it, right, especially because, you know, I want my kids to know who they are, right, um, and where they come from, which makes it um, important, you know, that I teach them about our own culture, And also recognize that you know they're gonna live in a a space of multiplicity because they embody so much, so much, right? Um, um, Here in America, Fareed is like (laughs) he's an American. Like it's it's so funny to me, right? Um, And isn't even Ilhan. The first time that I thought about Fareed being an American, like I didn't realize that that's what it is until, you know, one day I was walking to campus and I literally froze. And I'm like, wait, he's American and a Nebraskan? That's strange. And like I stood there and I was talking to myself and I asked the question, what does it mean, right? Like, what does it mean? There's something that I don't understand. Um, and I know that, um, he would also have questions about it. And I was like, how do I help him to understand if this is something that, you know, I have no pew-view to, right? It's something that I have no access to. Um, 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 how do I, how do I help him?
0: And we come from many places and many languages and many religions and cultures and we have to be able to learn how to embrace it not to just say Mm -hmm. oh things are black and white but Mm -hmm. i'm learning to just really find where do we intersect i know it's not easy raising children in america being a black man in america but you know you're doing a damn good job you have made it this far and i know you're going to share a poem with us today
1: um so i i read um observations um, it's in the voice of Baha. Um, the book is in um, two sections. Um, the first section is in a third person voice and the second section, which is a dialogue, is in the voice of the daughter and the voice of the father. Um, so the form that I would read is um, observation um, in the voice of the daughter. Um, it's on page 64. Yeah. Um, observations, they are. I am praying that a hummingbird hands me its ability to hover and fly backward, back into a timepiece where I am myself in a bath water you prepared. Startled that a flower doesn't bloom, I brood over the idea of bereavement, a nest egg of sorrow. Because there is an ounce of life on falling inside my tears. There is no right way to swallow a sullen pill. There is a spark of lifelessness in the bulb that fails to bloom. I miss you cleaning the dirt in my ears. Miss you wiping filth off my kneecaps, scrubbing my face often so tenderly. Remember the day you put me to sleep on grandmother's smart Everything I need now is inside the treadbare blankets you wrapped me in. Because here, my body is a flea bag where loneliness governs like a dictator. View. From the past, bah, dying is like moving into a future, past the street, busting with voices of the people you know. I am a girl who looks like her father. Uku. What do I know of a prayer other than it's a place where my knees root the ground and palms curve towards God like a child waiting to drink from his body? Because prayers often beget silence, I am in communion with the half-cleaved side of my melancholy. My mouth waits the puzzle in the air where I imagine your body pillowing mine on the heels of your hands. But When I close my eyes, we're looking the moon in the eye, the perfect place to dream into, our bones gleaming in its dim lights. Mother once dropped in my ears this words: a fantasy comes true if imagined thoroughly. Beer. I hear stars cracking, perhaps you are the most tragic victim of my fantasy. From where I stand, it's easier to pull the earth closer to my forehead than to wait for my prayers to be answered. Shida, I am lacing your hair into a roof of desire, a collection of things beyond one's reach. Thank you.
0: No, thank you for reading that and the observations that you allow her to tell through your poetry. And I'm just like so honored to be able to hold this, to be able to hear just a little bit about your story and just to see that there is power in sitting in our feelings and understanding grief and being able to put names, you know, to this loss and give life to it. So thank you so much. How are you on your way, Sadiq?
1: I'm um, drawing breath every single day. And that's a kind of a journey, right? Um, not that I'm getting anywhere, but I guess my body is. <laughs> because every single day as I draw that breath, it gets a little bit older. Um, and so I bet that's on, how I'm on my way.
0: Tell the people where can they connect with you? Where can they buy your book?
1: Uh, my mom says... Um, it's easier to reach me on Facebook than on a phone call. <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but, you know, um, I'm on Twitter. Um, and my, I think my handle is at um, Sadiq Um I'm also on Instagram with the same at um, Sadiq Um You can find your crib, my Ebbler from Nebraska Press um, on Amazon.
0: Where I got mine. And- Once again, just an honor to be able to sit with you and hear and learn a little bit more about your story and just know that we can breathe through these poems, you know, let them breathe through us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: No problem. To all our wonderful listeners, wherever you are on your way, just know that you have the power to give life through anything. Just write it down, you know, so that we can read it and live it. Until next time, this is Issa Cosette. Y'all be blessed.